Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Time to rise and shine. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's great to be alive. The mercies of God are new this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. The peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, is ours. Um, There is reason to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Important to be in the Word of God today before we get into the things of the world. So let me always encourage you to do so and let us do so right now. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Paul is uh, concluding his his letter here um, to Christian brothers and sisters at Philippi, a church he dearly loves. He says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. How are you opening um, your, you know, your cards and letters? What, what do your salutations look like? Because that one's really nice. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What if we all opened um, every communication today, uh, every every email, everything that we, um, cards and letters. I don't know. Are you a cards and letters person? I aspire to be a cards and letters person. Um, I, I often fail to carry through on my uh, good, thoughtful intentions related to that. But maybe that's something that we ought to recover in our life together, this this form of letter writing Um wouldn't it be great today to receive a card or a letter from, or even an email, a text from a brother and sister in Christ that started with these words, therefore, my brother, my sister, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul goes on, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Senecti to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I love the way that uh, Paul chronicles those who labor alongside him, men and women uh, who are with him in the labor of the Lord. So consider today uh, the people who uh, across the course of your life and who today labor alongside you in the Lord and thank God for them and encourage them. Consider them not only companions for the journey, but uh, but genuine co-laborers in the task of advancing the gospel right now in this generation, in these days in which we live, this is our time that God has uh, that God has deigned for us to live and serve Him as ambassadors of His kingdom. Uh, so Paul goes on. These are probably the the more familiar verses from Philippians chapter four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Remember the context here. Paul's in prison in Rome. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Wow, reasonableness in kind of short supply today. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have um, a peace with God. And you have the peace of God. It surpasses all understanding. It's inexplicable to people uh, who do not possess it and who do not uh, seek, seek it, do not seek God. But it does function to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Every thought captive to Christ. A hedge of protection about your heart and mind. I need that today. You need that today. We need that today. And then one of my uh, absolutely prof- uh, most precious verses. I mean, I, I love the whole Bible. And, uh, and Philippians one of my favorite books. And this is one of my favorite chapters. And this then one of my favorite verses. There you go. Verse 8. <clears throat> Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Let us set our hearts and minds today on Christ. Let us uh, invite him to uh, govern our thoughts and then our words and certainly our deeds. We've got to take a brief break. When we come back, Dr. Zach Jenkins will be here. We're going to cover the COVID headlines of the day. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jenkins is back. Ninety-eight point six is a um, is a temperature. Um, it's not a radio, it's not a dot on your radio dial. I mean, it probably is, but that's not the one we're talking about today. Doctor Jenkins, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Ninety-eight point six. I can't tell you how many times I've had my temperature checked by people that you know, random people. They just, they people just like whip out of just, 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 it's, it's everywhere today. It's ubiquitous. I get my temperature taken literally every, every place I walk into. So it's a little bit crazy. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm here to tell you I am solidly below 98.6. I don't, I almost never reach the magic number of 98.6. <laughs> well, it's a good thing, especially with what's going on. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, you and I do not uh, necessarily have the happiest of news to share today. Let's start with um, these COVID numbers across the United States uh, in terms of uh, the not only the death count, but the death rate. Yeah, so I, I think uh, it is important to kind of step back and recognize that to date we have um, unfortunately lost about 400,000 people in the U.S. alone to COVID. And in the world, I mean, we're talking about several million people so far. But the the thing I think that we're going to have to kind of pay attention to moving forward is not just really deaths, it's more the hospitalization piece and, and just kind of seeing what kind of burden it's placing on our, our medical resources. So we have not seen the hospitalizations necessarily drop off consistent, consistently yet. We're still kind of climbing the ladder. Um, it looks like, at least based on a lot of the projections, that Sometime between now and the end of January, we may start to see that peak. 
And we talk about hospitalizations. We're not just talking about hospitalizations that are COVID related. But if you um, if something happens and you need to go to the hospital, you're going to potentially find that there's literally not room for you. The city of Austin has converted their entire convention center uh, into uh, a mobile hospital um, and other places across the country are like scrambling to figure out uh, exactly what to do with all of the people who need to be hospitalized for various and sundry reasons, including including COVID. Um, and we talk about the um, particularly the stress being put on uh, ICU units. Uh, what is it about COVID that uh, that makes it so? I, mean, I don't know if, if we even know the answer to this question, Zach. So this kind of it seems that there are some people who experience this in an extremely acute way, and other people who are I mean literally asymptomatic. <laughs> And and that leads to, um, I think that leads to the the prevalence across the culture of some people suspecting that it's, it is actually not a big deal, and that much is being made of of something that is nothing. Can you just speak to that? You know, it's it's a good question that you asked. That um, I actually was having a very similar conversation yesterday in in church with uh, some of my friends there. And they, they were actually bringing up the notion that, you know, if you've had someone that you're aware of who's been sick, then maybe it seems a little bit more real to you if, it, if it's actually one of the more, more of those uh, severe cases, we'll say. I, I think what's challenging about this is I, I'm not aware of any other virus that's had such a large proportion of people that transmit things without very many symptoms. Um, the CDC recently just released a study that suggests that maybe the the rate of transmission from asymptomatic sources isn't even 40%. Maybe it's closer to 50%. So that that makes it a lot harder to wrap our heads around because it's this invisible thing that we can't see or deal with. Um, makes it makes it kind of hard to consider, you know, what what to do. And I think the hard thing is too, every part of the country is dealing with it a little bit differently. We we have our different local and state governments responding to it uh, in ways that we may or may not always agree with. And some of us are experiencing this in, in different levels. And so it, just, it makes it harder to wrap our heads around. So, some areas have been pretty quiet compared to places like Texas, like you brought up earlier. Yeah. All right. We got to talk about vaccinations. Um, let's take a very, very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Zach about vaccinations, the rollout and um, the the suspension of sort of the priority rationing that's been going on um, so that, I don't know, vaccines don't go to waste. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. You can follow him on Twitter at FarmDHiker, Farm Like Pharmacy. Um, Zach, let's talk about the vaccine rollout, and then let's talk about um, the idea of relaxing vaccine prioritization. Um, I'm I'm aware that in the state of New York, an online statewide registration or reservation website goes online today for seniors across the state, as well as frontline workers, teachers, and, uh, and guys like firefighters um, to register to get vaccinated. That doesn't mean they're getting vaccinated today, but it does mean that the prioritization rules have been relaxed in that state. Uh, talk with us about what's going on there. Yeah, so, so I, I think uh, probably something to kind of put out there, which helps to frame this a little bit, is the UK has also relaxed a lot of their a lot of their uh, vaccination rollout. They have three vaccines. They have the AstraZeneca, the Moderna, and the Pfizer in the UK. 
and they have essentially said, well, we're going to delay potentially you getting a second dose. That doesn't matter to us. We're going to let you get a vaccine. And when you get that second dose, it could be any one of those vaccines that you get that could be the second dose. The challenge we have there, and the same kind of mentality is um, being uh, kind of tossed around by the way, this, this thought process of, hey, here we can do the same thing in the U.S. The, the challenge is if we go down that route, we don't have the evidence to say what a delay will do as far as the effect of the vaccine. So we're talking about like 97% efficacy when we deal with Moderna and Pfizer, for example. We don't know what that means if we delay getting a second dose by like seven to eight weeks as opposed to getting it within three to four. So for all we know, like they, our, our intended impact is not going to be what, what we would like it to be. Another challenge we run into is there's literally no evidence to say what would happen when you mix different vaccine types. We don't have anything with that with COVID. Um, and, and I'm not even talking about a safety perspective. It's more of the efficacy piece in this case. Um, the safety data is there. It's just like when you, when you mix two things together, you're going to get that effect that you want. So, so that that's the real concern that I have. Um, I know Vice, or excuse me, President-elect Biden has thrown out uh, the 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 notion that he may actually relax all the the restrictions in place uh, because the Trump administration has actually held things back. So you're guaranteed a second dose if you get a dose of the vaccine. Well, he's saying, forget that. Let me just open up the floodgates and let everyone have access so we can speed rollout up problem there is we have to make sure the supply chain is there and and the distribution is set up in such a way that you could eventually get that second dose. Um, so, so there are some concerns that, just to be honest, I have moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing um, seems a little uh, – <clears throat> for people that are so concerned about science, um, the idea that you would just set aside the concern about, you know, getting the same – Getting the, the second dose on time in a timely manner as the as the research has indicated and that it would be the same kind as the first one you got. I, I don't know. That just seems reasonable to me. But there you go. I'm not a scientist. Um, uh, talk with us about um, the vaccine and the side effects that people some people are experiencing um, from the vaccine. Well, we're seeing things that we would expect. So chills, fever, um, fatigue, muscle aches just joint aches, that kind of thing. That That's what we would typically see with any kind of vaccine. And, and really, that's just your immune system doing its job. It means you're ramping up a response. It's an intended kind of effect. We don't want it to happen to people. Not everyone has it happen. But it means your immune system is responding, which is a good thing. Um, we have seen some other things that have happened. The most, Probably the most concerning thing about this are the uh, allergic reactions. It's still a small number of cases that have been reported. I mean, it's it's very small. But at the same time, it, it is kind of making people go, well, how do I know um, if I'm allergic to it or not? Um, so we've seen it in the U.S., we've seen it in the U.K., and the, the allergic reactions seem to be higher than other vaccines. We think it might have something to do with the fat components, the, the oil-based components, we'll say, of the vaccine. Uh, but we can't say for sure. So we're still digging into that a little bit. That being said, we've had over 4 million doses of the vaccine administered in the U.S., and it's been an incredibly small number of allergies in contrast to that. Um, so I, I think it's it's less than 100 or something like that, if my understanding is correct. So it, it's a very small proportion. All right. Um, Zach, on in 
In other in other headlines, um, you know, it's cold and flu season. Talk with us a little bit about um, if you are if you think you have one or the other, right? You're sick. You're sick. You 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 don't you don't know which one you have. First of all, for most people, they're going to work through either one of these at home. Talk with us a little bit about how we know when we should seek treatment for the cold, for the flu, or for COVID, and how to best battle them at home. Well, I, I think uh, one thing to first distinguish is that we have um, the flu, which is more of a respiratory process. Um, and then people have heard of the stomach flu before, which isn't actually mm. the same kind of virus. Um, it's, it's what we call viral gastroenteritis. And that affects more of your intestinal tract, makes you very sick. You uh, are nauseous. You may vomit, that sort of thing. And you feel just as weak as, as you would with the flu, potentially. So we have those that are both circulating at the same time, unfortunately. And so you really kind of have to watch for those symptoms. So if you have a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms, it is worth trying to reach out to a provider because in some of our COVID cases, particularly the more serious ones, or the, the ones that tend to lean and progress to be more serious, they sometimes have those GI symptoms. So that, that's what's kind of interesting there. Um, we know that COVID has a lot of respiratory issues. Um, when, when we think about the flu, the traditional flu, we have the same problem there. Probably the biggest differentiator there is that COVID has that loss of uh, taste and smell potentially. Other than that, they look very similar at face value. So, so that's what makes differentiating COVID so difficult. Um, so I, I think if you're feeling sick, stay home if you can. If you have trouble breathing, if you notice that your fingers are fingertips are blue or your lips are blue, uh, it's a sign that you may not be getting good ox- oxygen flow. So that, that's a time when you probably should reach out to that medical provider or maybe even go to an emergency department if, if you do something like pass out, for example. Um, so, so that would be what I would encourage people to do. It is okay to try to see your, your medical provider um, and not go to the emergency department. But certainly when you start having real difficulty breathing or, or you're really struggling with uh, maybe you, those fingertips being blue or your lips being blue, that kind of thing, that's where I would probably go to the emergency department. Zach, thank you, um, as always, so much. That's Dr. Zach Jenkins. You can find him at Cedarville University. You can also find him on Twitter. You haven't been banned, right? You're still active. I mean, your account. I'm just checking. I'm I mean, right? Twitter We're going to have so. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Farm D Hiker on Twitter. <laughs> Zach, thanks, as always. All right, no problem. We'll be right back. All right, Mary uh, texting in this morning says, oh, I was a little uh, I was a little late to text in my question. Um, And she wants to know uh, what kind of concerns are being raised about the other things that could be included in these vaccines. Are they listing everything that is in each vaccine? Um, I would direct everyone to FDA.gov. That's the Food and Drug Administration, FDA.gov backslash emergency prepare it's a long it's long I, you could just google um fda the word covid uh the word vaccine and you're going to get this website it's because it's a long uh, it's a long url fda.gov backslash emergency preparedness and response backslash coronavirus disease 2019 covid19 covid19 vaccines so that's just too long to remember um here's what's on that page everything the fda has 
on uh, not only individual coronavirus vaccines, but the development of of each and all of them. Uh, It includes tons of Q&A related to each and every one of these vaccines as a part of the authorization, emergency use authorization for particular vaccines, Q&As, all kinds of uh, conversations that that the FDA has had publicly um, about uh, about each and every one of uh, of the vaccines and where they are in the process. Why do I direct you here? Well, because um, these these coronavirus vaccines are unique in that they're essentially globally crowdfunded, and so any government that has made any financial investment in the development of any of these vaccines has huge requirements related to the transparency of not only the process uh, of development, but the production and distribution. So um, because everybody around the globe literally has a vested interest because they have invested in the development of these vaccines, uh, it's very transparent. And so you can actually know a lot about these vaccines um, individually and uh, and collectively. So there you go. FDA.gov. Great, uh, great resources there in terms of answering your questions related to what's in each one of them. Okay, Uh, Adam Carrington and I are going to discuss all of the headlines. Well, huh, that's ambitious. We are going to discuss a number of headlines um, related to the political... uh, She exhales deeply. uh, The political conversations of the day here in the United States. Uh, There is going to be... A move to impeach the president again. There are continued conversations about uh, the use of the 25th Amendment. I think those are uh, not going to happen. Um, but we need to have some conversations about where we are politically as uh, as a nation, as a culture, uh, and conversations about how we move forward together. And each of us resisting that temptation to bend reality to fit our preferences. I think that is a particular challenge we all face today. So, Adam Carrington up next. We'll be right back. There's nothing more destructive to your relationship with your child than constant lecturing. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Whenever conflict occurs, if your knee-jerk reaction is to lecture, you're communicating that you don't think your teen can think for himself. And if you condemn him for his mistakes, you're actually reinforcing that you don't really respect him. That's not your intent, but it's what your child is hearing. So what can be done? Well, stop lecturing and start listening. In fact, start today. Try it for a day. Don't flip out, argue, or lecture. It'll take a lot of discipline on your part, but you may discover it's just what your teen needs. Before long, your teen will return the favor and start listening to you. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Dr. Adam Carrington joins me again this morning uh, from Hillsdale College. He tweets at Carrington AM. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be back. Hope you all had a good holiday break, Christmas and New Year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was lovely. You? Yes, yes. I'm actually now uh, in Princeton in um, 
COVID travel quarantine waiting because we did so, but uh, it was it was a very nice time with family, and it was good to see them after a, a good break and not quite knowing, given pandemic conditions, uh, how possible that was going to be. So we were very thankful. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I had almost forgotten you're um, you're 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 studying this semester. You, the professor, are studying this semester. I like that. Uh, every, every, I think every good teacher and professor and even some bad ones, uh, is, is also a student. It's just a matter of where you are in the process. You're all learning together is at least how I, how I pitch it to my students. Okay. So, um, so good professor, um, talk with us about what happened last week. Talk with us about what's going on now in, uh, in Washington, DC, um, the prospects of, for the first time in U.S. history, a president facing impeachment for a second time, uh, calls for the uh, the implementation of the 25th Amendment. I don't think that's going to happen, but we ought to tell people um, what that looks like uh, as well. So just talk about those two topics. Sure. Obviously, we're still learning a lot about the really appalling attack on the U.S. Capitol last, last week, and some of the details are still developing. We're still learning all sorts of things about those particulars. But as far as you're asking about the reaction uh, toward the president, uh, you articulated sort of two possible reactions for those who want to, who think the president should be held accountable and removed in some way for this. And the first is the 25th Amendment. And I agree with you. I think that's unlikely. That is where the vice president, along with the majority of the cabinet, would basically forcibly remove the president from office and make the vice president the acting president. And again, this would have to be led by the vice president and the cabinet. And I find that highly unlikely and also probably not the right reaction uh, constitutionally. It seems unlikely that if they haven't done it already, that they that they're going to now, especially given how many Cabinet secretaries have resigned. I think if they were going to do the 25th Amendment, those would have stayed on. I also think that the 25th Amendment's really built for incapacity. The some uh, the president has an aneurysm or a heart attack or something, or I mean, you could have an instance where the president has gone. Uh, has actually uh, uh, lost his sanity to the point where he's incapacitated. But those are all things we, the public, probably wouldn't know, uh, wouldn't have an idea of uh, until something was done. So instead, it looks like impeachment seems likely. Uh, whether that will result in conviction, I think, is 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 a much harder question. And the, the House of Representatives has already drawn up articles about it. It looks like they may vote on it as early as middle of this week. And it's going to be very interesting. As you said, we've never impeached a president twice. What will the Senate do with it, given how little time is left in his presidency? Uh, An unprecedented action last week is now uh, uh, probably predictably leading to unprecedented reactions and responses from Congress and everyone else at this point. Okay, um, remind us uh, the 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 process of impeachment. If uh, if Congress, uh, if the House of Representatives does indeed receive. Uh, this uh, these articles of impeachment or an an article of impeachment is what it looks like uh, today and votes on it potentially as early as Wednesday and sends it to the Senate. Um, I mean, the Senate would still have to act and would have to act in a way that supports the House. So um, I think this is also unlikely. Yes. 
unlikely uh, in, in in the instance of of at least conviction, probably, uh, mm. because part of the part of the, part of the problem is it's so close to the end of the president's term. Now, I'm not saying what would happen if it was earlier. Those that that it's kind of hard to to predict that either, but. Uh, the president is guaranteed a trial in the Senate. If you look at the the way the Constitution is set up, which means he would at least need some time to get his lawyers together, to get his defense together. He would need some time for the uh, for a prosecution and a defense of some kind to go on. And so that's where, in some ways, some some are at saying we should just let this go because of timing, because it looks like it, this could go right up to or past where we transition power to a Biden administration. So that's where timing, in addition to all the other factors, I'm not denying those don't exist, is making this complicated because you need to, uh, the this process is demanding speed, but to have a kind of due process that the constitution guarantees to the president, uh, you can't, you can only go so fast. All right, um, Adam, let's pivot. You, um, you referenced there the transition to a Biden administration, we are now uh, clearly on track to see that happen. Um, you know, anything there that you want to talk about? I know that there have been not only you've already alluded to a number of resignations from the Trump administration, uh, but Biden has also now made uh, a number of nominations um, for the transition, which takes place in just nine days. And there is a Senate confirmation process for many of those individuals. And historically, um, an incoming president has a number of cabinet officials already uh, approved and in place when he takes office. So uh, are we anticipating that as well? This may be one of the first, at least in a long time, where we don't have any that are mm. approved. And that's partly because of the contested process and the unwillingness uh, among large parts of the Trump administration and the U.S. Senate to acknowledge or at least act upon uh, the, the 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 Biden the certified Biden win, and we should probably step back and just real quickly say why why have a cabinet, and a cabinet is really meant to help the president execute the laws, because one man can't do all of it. At the same time, and also is meant to be a source of advice and counsel to him as he's trying to make the decision, unlike Congress or the courts where you have uh, co-equal members of an administration uh, of a branch, the, the nine Supreme Court members or the, the 535 House and Senate members uh, that can all participate in the decision making process. The president stands alone on top of the executive branch and the, the cabinet is meant to advise him. And so this is going to be, there's going to be a lot of catch up uh, for the Biden and uh, a Biden administration because of the fact that despite the fact he's been announcing who he would like to serve in the cabinet in fairly regular order, fairly, fairly regular timetable for the, what are the norms, the process of, of, Having the potential nominees talk with people in the Trump administration to get caught up, the process of having a uh, orderly uh, confirmation process in the Senate, both of those have been much slower to non-existent than they would be in, in than they have been in the past, and hopefully that doesn't come back to to haunt us. But that is really the state of affairs right now. 
All right, Dr. Adam Carrington and I are talking about uh, a number of things in the political headlines here for the country. When we come back, um, we're going to transition just slightly, and we're going to talk about um, what happens when, uh, on either side of the aisle, um, the the politics become a religion. In fact, politics becomes a religion. Um, we have heard the Capitol building referred to as the temple uh, of American civic religion in the last week. Um, and we have have people on both sides of the political aisle uh, referring to those on the other as evil. Um, and that if and when those people, uh, those evil people were to were to have control, then um, then it would be the demise of the democracy and therefore justifies violence against them, even their annihilation. Uh, these are these are this is the language of religious uh, extremism. This is not the language uh, that we uh, should be using as you know, as we the people in a democratic republic. So we're going to talk about that uh, here with Dr. Adam Carrington in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Adam, when we when we consider what's going on in our nation today, the fervor with which people are engaged um, and even even immediately defensive about their own um, political position on something uh, rises uh, to the level of religious fervor on both sides of the aisle. Can we talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. And it's interesting that for a while there's been language on both left and right. I think more on the right started it, but the left very quickly took it up as well, of us being in a kind of civil war. And the reference was actually often to our own American civil war in the 1860s. But it seems in the way it's that the the fervor it's taken on and the language it's taken on to be a little bit more like the English civil war of the 17th century. And I bring that up just because it was much more explicitly a religious conflict in its fervor and its mutual exclusivity. And I think you're seeing a, a battle of competing uh, orthodoxies, and I would even say on both sides, idolatries. I'm not saying everyone involved is being idolatrous, but certainly a number on both sides. And I think on the left, you're seeing politics replacing religious faith for many. It's becoming a sort of uh, a, a, a proxy for it. And I think you're seeing something like uh, this concept of wokeness being a kind of new form of regeneration. And you're seeing some of their uh, ideas of either intersectionality, socialism, the sexual revolution as a kind of new orthodoxy, a new set of doctrines. And, and, and by the way, aside from whether they're right or not, they're, they've been – I think the a problem with them regardless is they've risen to the level of a kind of doctrine to be held with religious fervor. And I think you're seeing a number of people on the right, some of the some of the people that were involved in, say, the Jericho March or or others that uh, at times seem to be co-opting religious faith in the service of politics, where they aren't replacing uh, religion with politics, but they're transforming their their religion to serve certain political ends, the idea that maybe America is the chosen people of God as opposed to just a nation that God has blessed a lot. 
uh, or making certain leaders of their own into new Davids or Moseses or or all of those things rolled into one. Um, I, I think, you know, they're good, faithful Christians that are really trying to pursue truth at this time, but there are a lot who have really made their politics a kind of religious, uh, uh, a religious faith that they see, they seem as dedicated to as anything else. Uh, this is uh, this is something that has been observed by um, you know by sociologists and people who study study the people of a culture, and so I mean it's now been four or five years ago. Um, I, I I can't remember her name. This is embarrassing. I should have looked this up before we talked, but I, I know that she's out of the University of Chicago, and she she studied this, and and then she wrote a book about it. How um, it's actually not our religion anymore that drives our politics, but the other way around. Our politics actually drive and determine um, whether or not we attend church, which churches we attend, um, and how we express the things of our faith. Like, it's, it has become political. It has—religion uh, has been co-opted by politics in much the same way that everything else has been. Um, and so I think that if we— if we recognize that as something that has happened in our culture, um, it it puts us in a different posture in terms of our conversations with one another. Um, there are people who understand themselves to be Christians um, who also uphold things like abortion. Now, I view those two things as utterly mutually exclusive, impossible to, uh, to align. But we now have a... Uh, an elected senator from the state of Georgia who serves as a pastor of a church um, and certainly understands himself to be a Christian and others follow him as such. And yet he is also quite pro-abortion. Um, and so I think that the ideas that we have not been able to reconcile, others um, are able to hold in um, – what do you what do you call that when you can hold two ideas that are mutually exclusive but you're able to hold them simultaneously? Cognitive dissonance. Like we've reached the place where um, people in the culture are able to openly engage in in public cognitive dissonance. And and Carmen, if I could just add something to that because I think that's really helpful, is that I, I think there's a third way, and, and the third way. I, I don't think is to make it as if religion or Christianity or the Bible has nothing to say to politics. That's a call that I've seen some wanting to make to say, well, they've gotten so overly entangled, the answer is to, to, to make them so mutually exclusive they don't speak to each other. I think the problem is Christianity and and, and scripture and, 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 and Christian faith is not speaking autonomously from its own perspective on its own terms to our life today. It's being co-opted or utterly ignored. And ra- and, and that's, that is a distortion or a secularization of Christianity rather than Christianity being able to speak on its own terms, on its own ground, with its own authority uh, to our time and place. And that's what I think is, is most missing from our, from our situation at, at, at the present. So if I understand you correctly, what you're suggesting is the distinctive nature of a Christian voice um, apart from a a voice that is obviously aligned 
with one political expression or another is missing from the conversation in our culture. Yes, and and that doesn't mean that one might you know, think that Christianity more leans one way or another at a particular time and place. I mean, we could get into that, but it, it, if Christianity is making its case from its own ground, from its own principles, then there are going to be times where it is going to criticize one side, it's going to criticize the other, it's going to find things praiseworthy in one side or the other because it's standing on its own ground. I mean, a way that some people may be able to think about this is people often say, well, I'm a, a uh, at a conservative first and a Republican second, or a liberal first and a Democrat second, that means that there's uh, a position from which one of those can criticize the other. I think this is even more fundamental than that, that there's a position from which one can say, you know, and there are some things I don't think the Bible speaks to at all, but there are things uh, about who we are as human beings, what justice is, that a Christian perspective is going to not make you disengage from politics, but make you engage from it in a way that shows that your kingdom's not of this world. All right, Adam, you and I have to leave it right there today. Um, thank you, as always, for helping us unpack this. Um, you and I had uh, uh, had planned to have a portion of our conversation about the ways in which we all yield to the temptation to bend reality to, fill, to fit our preferences. Um, that is a conversation worthy of being had and certainly worthy of our self-examination in this new year. So thank you so much for um, bringing the gospel to bear on the headline news of the day. We really appreciate it. Thank you for letting us have these conversations. I look forward to more of them. Amen. Amen. All right. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. Okay, what then shall we say about these things? What then shall we say about these things? Let me encourage you to reread Romans chapter 8 as an encouragement today. Uh, picking up at verse 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Uh, and then later on, um, what then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ, who died, who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Indeed, my friends, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reread uh, Romans 8 today to gain a little perspective. we got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.